sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. Really looking forward to this interview because I'm not speaking to someone who is necessarily famous for their UFO exploits or being a witness somewhere having worked in the military, but I've got someone who has a a great mind, a very inquisitive nature and is making a bit of their, their own splash in the field of UFOs through their own channel, The Theory of Everything on YouTube. It's filmmaker Kurt Jaimungo. Kurt, how are we? I am well. How about you? Yeah, I- I'm doing good. Have I pronounced your surname correctly? Kurt Jaimungle, yep. That's yeah, correct. good, good. Do you know, oh, I was by the thinking... way, where's Dan? Uh, so Dan is a, I've not let him come on. Uh, he was, no, I-, I was going to. Not let him. Yeah, he's uh, editing uh, a show we recorded today and our deadline for it's been brought forward. So he he was just kind of leaving me to it. Um, so he's going to look at this afterwards and do some editing and stuff for us as well. Great, but, great, great. Um, uh, I-, I thought he might have said to you. So apologies for that, Kurt. But I-, I usually joke Dan only comes on for the big guests. He was very much yeah. looking forward to speaking to you and being on with you as well. Um, so he's doing some of the hard work in the background. Great, okay. But listen, Kurt, Dan's helped me put together this interview because he is he's a big fan of yours. He got me onto your podcast before I knew about it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's certainly gone from strength to strength. Before we do start to talk about the YouTube channel, I'd like to know a little bit more about yourself, Kurt. What's your background and what's got you to the point in life where you have the, this show and you're a filmmaker? My background in this... Okay, well, there's a couple ways that can be taken. I assume you don't care about my ethnicity, but my background, let's say my intellectual background is I went to university for math and physics. I've always been interested in mathematics and physics that's my bailiwick. That's my sphere of knowledge. That's my ken. As for filmmaking, that came about while I was in university. I used to do stand-up comedy. And when you do stand-up, you want to write scripts. So then I wanted to get those scripts made, went into filmmaking. After graduating, I abandoned pretty much all of mathematics and physics, except the abstract thinking of it, and then went into filmmaking. But since I've been young, I've always wanted to know there's something called the theory of everything. And I'm sure many of your audience members already know what this is. But if you're listening and you're unsure, well, it's a physics terminology and it means it's it's not quite settled exactly what it means, but in its original conception, it means how do you unify general general relativity with quantum field theory? So it's essentially the laws, the unifying laws of nature. The reason why I say it's not 
quite settled is that it's not clear if you can unif- if the if you should be unifying them it's not clear if the quest in physics should be one of increased symmetry perhaps what we should be looking for are breaking of symmetries and less and less symmetric this is penrose penrose actually argues for this and either way it's a physics terminology it's a physics term so one can take that physics term and then abstract it further to mean weltanschauung which is what i say on the channel which is a german word and it means Technically, to them, it simply means worldview, but the way that I use it is to mean an all-encompassing worldview predicated in something called ontology. So ontology is metaphysics. Think about someone like Sam Harris or Peterson, where you can bring up almost any phenomenon. So like, why is a cup, why is this cup blue? And then they'll have, oh, it's because the Oedipal mother, and they have a vast explanation for it that ties into many facets of life. That is what I call a Weltanschauung. It's an entire philosophy. We all have worldviews. To live, you have to have a worldview. You think you model the world, but we don't all have Weltanschauungs. We don't all have cohesive, coherent, all-encompassing worldviews. So I use theories of everything to mean that. The question was, well, what's my background? <laughs> and, and how did I arrive where I am now? I've never abandoned the theory of everything. Since I started this channel, I've expanded what it means to be a theory of everything into what I just mentioned. And I appreciate that because you do truly encompass a lot of different areas within those topics of conversation. And UFOs is one that even the the most out there are celebrity scientists. If you want to look at a Neil deGrasse Tyson or in the UK, Professor Brian Cox, they, they even try and stay away from talking about UFOs generally or getting too detailed in the subject but you really seem to have embraced it along with you talking about that theory of everything and i'm a layman i can't use the physics terminology and i won't even attempt to try any german either but you you've dived in with some some names and really encompassed the topic of ufos and in, in your conversation on it is there a moment that's struck you in recording? And this doesn't have to be um, related to UFOs. It can be anything. This is one of Dan's questions in your entirety of your YouTube channel that stuck with you from, from a particular guest. More like, I don't know if moments stuck with me. You know, something Ross said recently, which is that it could be us from the future. Now, look, if any physicist hears that, it, there's so many paradoxes that come with time travel that you wouldn't entertain it. But then there's something, there's an aspect inside myself that's developed over the past year or so with this channel mainly, and that I'm so much more willing to entertain ideas that on the surface seem superficially implausible. When he said that, my instinct is judgment and saying it can't be that. Well, first of all, how do you have free will at all? And second of all, why did they, if it's a different timeline, why did they care? And then there are many more direct ways of intervening if it's exactly for the motivations he says it is. But there's also a part of me that tries to steal men and think, well, even if someone is using, let's say, it's a physics, it's technically physics to say time travel because you're dealing, like even if you said space travel, that's also physics, spatial, temporal is physics. So if someone says something that's, if someone uses physics in a way that's non-standard, I no longer denigrate it inside my head, or at least I try not to. Instead, I think, well, how could this possibly be true? And you can even see that in that episode. There were some connections that occurred to me there, which I can't explicate now because they're not clear to me. But 
there were some connections I made in that moment that it partly made sense. It's almost like for anyone who's had a deep meditative experience or has taken a psychedelic in the moment, plenty of it can make sense. And then days later, you're just like, ah, oh, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know how to integrate that. That was just a dream and so on. Well, it's somewhat like that. I don't remember my exact thoughts when it came to what Ross said, but I do remember that being a moment that stuck with me. It's more like guests stick with me rather than moments within guests. Did you have any interest in UFOs growing up at all through childhood or into adulthood? Or is it no. really more more since the channel started then that it's... No, it's not. It's before the channel started, Andy. It's when I was speaking. So I have a documentary. On the documentary, there was... We were finished, so we had this wrapping up party. And I was speaking to... And when I say party, it's like a, the, such a lame party. It's four people because so, so few people worked on the documentary. So four people. And one of the editors of the documentary was telling me, Kurt, you know, there's, you got to look into UFO. And then I was just completely contemptuous and scornful of the topic, like, as you imagine, virtually any academic would be, although I'm not an academic, but I had that mindset. And I told him, well, look, there's exponential curves when it comes to technological advancement. Why is it that the, if they're coming from so far away, why do their craft look similar? Why is it not drastically different? Why is it not just dust like gray goo? I had many objections. He said, Kurt, just watch this, this, and this. I think he sent me a couple videos and I watched the Bob Lazar video on Rogan. And then I just, I'm, I, I can analyze people's body language fairly easily. It just occurs to me in an instant. And so when I look at someone like Bob Lazar, I know plenty of the UFO community to the degree there is a community. It's like, it's scattered, right? But to the degree there is one, many of the, it's divided on Lazar. Mm. Whether Lazar is telling the truth or not, sorry, whether what Lazar is saying is true is different than whether or not he believes it to be true. Yep. And I didn't sense any pretense in him. I didn't sense any deception. I didn't sense any affectation. In fact, I sense resistance to wanting to talk about it because he felt annoyed that he has to, and perhaps even afraid. When I looked into that, then I started to become much more interested in the topic that led me to Jeremy Corbell, naturally, because Bob Lazar, there's a documentary. And I thought, well, I'm a filmmaker. How about I reach out to Jeremy? And Jeremy says no to plenty of interviews, but he said yes to mine because I was a filmmaker and I knew, and I was a, someone who had a background in math and physics. So he said yes. This is before the channel was known for anything related to UFOs. Then he came on and I asked some rudimentary questions, which I got critiqued for, and rightfully so. And then I was still interested in it. The channel still wasn't known. It didn't get much views, that Jeremy Corbell video. Then I interviewed Kevin Knuth because I'm interested in the physics. I'm extremely interested. What the heck is going on here? There's When I say new physics, I mean physics outside our current paradigm, the current academic consensus, let's say, because there could be other physics known to the government if they have access to craft, if these craft exist and so on. Well, then I spoke to Kevin Knuth, and that interview also didn't do terribly well, but my interest remained, and I wanted to speak to more people. And then for whatever reason, the algorithm started to pick up some of the UFO videos. Either way, my interest wasn't from the, the initial success of UFO videos, because there, were no, there was no initial success. It's just, there's something here when it comes to physics. I also don't think that this topic is worthy of the derision that it has. I think that plenty of it is marketing in the sense that when you're intelligent, you want to be seen as intelligent and you're afraid of see, be seeing, you're afraid of being seen as not intelligent. And right now, 
it's it's seen as not it's seen as not being intelligent to speak about this topic with anything other than disparagement. So I believe that's the reason Neil deGrasse Tyson and Brian Cox and so on do what they do and say what they do and say what they say. So can you explain to me then as someone again who is far from a scientist, okay, surely that the whole, whenever you hear about science in school, you hear about all these great thinkers and great minds who made these incredible discoveries, who challenged the, the norms of the time through the centuries. Why do mainstream scientists now seem to have such an issue challenging this norm? Maybe it's starting to break down a little bit now with people like Avi Loeb and, and such, but why is it they can't look at what could be the greatest discovery in the history of mankind as something that we should be pursuing scientifically, and that could be the next great step? I believe there were some government programs used to to make the topic of UFOs one that only kooks or loons or so believe or espouse. I believe there was one. I forget what it's called. Andy, I'm sure you can... There's been a a few going back through the decades and disinformation campaigns. And again, just to ridicule, the Project Blue Book was one that was largely designed Mm -hmm. to to come out and explain away phenomena with a a rationale that wasn't necessarily there at all times. So that's Mm -hmm. been done, yeah. But again, I still look at scientists going back, and I I don't want to misquote or get any of these wrong, but for example, Galileo, you know, when they make these claims of the times and they're told they were wrong and that, you know, that what they thought couldn't possibly be true, but it's come to pass decades and centuries later that what these people said at the time wasn't that incredible and it actually was true. And I just, again, look at scientists now, knowing all the things we know now, is it just that labelling of being a cook that stops them taking that step forward into this subject, do you think, still? I think it's, I think it's to a large degree that... I'm also wondering how much of it has to do with specialization. Our knowledge now requires such a degree of specialization that going beyond one sphere is is perilous. It's like if you're a chemist, you're not just a chemist. You're an organic chemist. You're not just an organic chemist. You're a specific type of organic chemist and a specific type of that, a solid state, so on, so on, so on, or condensed matter, so on, so on, so on. But what I'm what I mean is that then if you ask them, can you comment on let's say black hole formation, they would say, no, they'd throw their hands up in the air. Then you ask them, can you comment on something that's outside even what's scientifically considered to be scientific? Okay, well, that is so far out there. And it and there's such a paucity of evidence. There's very, virtually none. It makes sense in some sense, because it would also be like, well, why don't they... If the argue, from what I understand, what you're saying, Andy, is like, hey, scientists are supposed to challenge. Scientists are supposed to go outside and and say that the emperor has no clothes and to even test. Like, maybe the emperor does have clothes. I see them as having no clothes and maybe they're wearing gold. Well, they are. But the, this is the reason I brought up specialization. Because if you're not specialized, if you're more of a generalist, which may be one of the advantages of myself is that I... I have such little depth in virtually any topic. When you're someone that is a jack of all trades and master of none, then you can flip between topics easily. But when you're specialized, the amount that you can flip, like I mentioned, an organic chemist doesn't even, doesn't want to talk about chemistry as a whole. They'd rather talk about, well, a specific subset of organic chemistry. Or a physicist, a topological quantum field theorist doesn't want to talk about string theory. 
that's actually false because topological quantum field theories have plenty to do with string theory. But you understand the you understand the general premise. So it could also be because of specialization. So it's one ridicule specialization, and the reason I say that is because then they could just say, well, why don't I entertain remote viewing? Why don't I entertain that this is pick your favorite out to their theory. Why don't I entertain that? I only have so much time and it required me, it required such an investment to get me to the point that I am. It could also be that. How would you suggest the UFO community or those, you know, with an interest in UFOs try and make the subject more palatable to those scientists that maybe have that? How do we circumnavigate that specialization if that is a barrier? Mm-hmm. Can we? Mm, I think I think what Eric Weinstein is doing, what Avi Loeb is doing, what Brian Keating is doing, I think they're at the forefront of making this topic less taboo. I think pretty much just by speaking about it as if it's serious and saying, hey man, the government has even... When people say the government has acknowledged that UAPs exist, well, okay. what They haven't acknowledged that it's aliens. They've said that there are craft that we have no explanation for and doesn't seem to be tied to any worldly organization. That's not exactly the same as saying it's extraterrestrials or it's extra human or it's something. Sure. You get that. You get that. But yeah. just emphasizing that this is a serious issue and not worthy of condescension, that alone is... But that has to come from people who are scientifically minded because scientists tend to, scientists don't care too much about what non-scientists think. They do, obviously, because they want public approbation, but they don't care if the public thinks, they, scientists general, I'm generalizing, let's say intellectuals want to remain being seen as intellectual. One of the worst fears of someone who has a high IQ is being seen as having a low IQ because their whole image is tied to that is tied to being an academia is tied to is tied to being a mathematician or a physicist or a or whatever it may be and so when people who okay and then the question is well what makes you a mathematician what makes you a physicist well it's the other physicists and other mathematicians say you are okay if that's the case then what they care about most are their own peers and if their own peers disbelieve this topic, but the public does, well, it doesn't matter too much what the public does. That's why what Avi Loeb and Brian Keating are doing is extremely important. It has to come, well, it has to, I think it comes from within. Do you think that then that funding is going to be crucial to getting mainstream science involved? Because I interviewed Avi Loeb back in, in January before he secured the funding for the Galileo project. And he seemed relatively open at that point that he would get involved in the subject, but the funding had to be there. Do you think other scientists and other thinkers, other minds, intellectuals, will see that there is funding for this and they will see names like Avi Loeb and Eric Weinstein attached to this and that could hopefully pull some more of them along? Yeah, although I wouldn't put Eric Weinstein on that, not because Eric is not an intellectual, he's a vast, vast giant, but because many people in academia dislike him because Eric is so popular and they're frankly jealous. So it wouldn't be that. If anything, that would make them not want to be a part of it. Anyway, anyway, Avi Loeb, yes. 
I, I don't think they should be like that. I think that they're wrong to, for example, I know many people who, I want to say many, I know of more than, I know of at, at least one person who dislikes that Eric Weinstein is called, I know of at, I know of more than one person who dislikes that Eric Weinstein was called a mathematician because they're like, well, how is he a mathematician? He doesn't publish regularly. Well, why do you care? Why do you, it's because you know that the public sees him as this great intellectual giant and they don't see you as that because you're so specialized in something where only your peers can understand. And it's brilliant work. You're doing such brilliant work and no, none of the public can recognize it because it's indecipherable esoteric hieroglyphs to the majority of people. So they, they don't like that Eric Weinstein is so popular. And that's where the majority of their derision of him comes from. At least I think so. Okay, putting that aside, if there was funding there, I imagine, I don't see why not. People want money. Scientists are people. I don't see why that wouldn't that wouldn't open the doors to more of an exploration of this topic scientifically. And I would like to know, Kurt, and I'm not asking you to speak for, for others, but what do you think intellectual scientists and that this group of people that we're looking at and talking about, what would represent good data to them? I know that's generalizing, but what for you would be good data? Look, look, we're not likely to go out and capture a, an image of an, an alien spacecraft on camera. That's very unlikely. But is it the detection of, you know, gravitational anomalies? Or is it, I, I'm not going to surmise anymore. Yeah, because... I don't know. I don't know. That's, a, that's tricky. One that I think about is if there was materials that was shared. So for example, there are claims that there are metamaterials around somewhere, Lockheed Martin. Yeah. You hear that name. Okay. Well, is this accessible to is this accessible to to scientists, to people who to material engineers? Doesn't seem like it is. Well, opening that up would be one avenue, at least for material engineer from a material engineering standpoint. Mm-hmm. As for see, there was this wow signal, I believe it was called, quite some time ago, I think in the nineteen seventies. Yeah. But it was a one off event. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it has to be repeatable. Some event that's repeatable, some event that, yeah, some event that's repeatable. And I don't know what that would be. I recall Tom DeLong, or I recall someone saying that Tom DeLong said that there are spots on in the world that the government knows that there are these craft that look like large UAPs, where smaller UAPs dock and come out of and go into. Okay, so that's if that was the case, that would be repeatable because you can just investigate that. I don't know. Yeah, one of those areas would appear to be off the coast of of California and Catalina Islands. There's a a lot of interest around there, and UAPX are are one of those groups that are looking to go out scientifically uh, and do some recording around that area. so yeah, that again, it's that repeatability would would add a lot of credence and, and credibility to any potential testing. Absolutely. Now you mentioned Tom DeLong, and recently I saw you on Doctor Brian Keating's podcast. You were on with Tom DeLong and Jim Semivan, and mm-hmm. I, I found it interesting watching you on the interview uh, because I felt you were just soaking a lot of in of a lot of what they were saying in. And what mm-hmm. were some of the things Jim Semivan and Tom DeLong discussed that you were most surprised by? Well, I was I was relieved to know that the government no longer practices disinformation campaigns. Hmm. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> That's a joke. 
yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't yeah. know. See, but I'm saying that half, I'm jokingly saying that. And the reason is that so many people are criticizing Jim Semivan for saying that. Whereas for me, I'm thinking I didn't interpret him right or he spoke incorrectly. Because Jim Semivan is a bright person. He's not. I don't think what he said or how we interpret what he said is what he meant. I don't think so. I could be being extremely charitable. I don't think I am, but I don't know. So that's number one. As for, I, I didn't get to ask many of the questions I wanted to ask. Much I would love to know what, what did you want to ask? I want to ask, well, about mutilations. I want to ask about intentions. I want to ask about warring gods, particularly to Tom DeLonge. I want to ask about this antenna theory of his, of consciousness. I want to ask, well, I think that's enough. Yeah. No, no, that, that uh, antenna theory, I think is relatively interesting. The idea that consciousness isn't based locally, I believe would be the word where you are and you're just a receiver and you're picking up consciousness from elsewhere. And, um, I get the feeling with Tom DeLong, given the circles he has ran in over the past five, six, seven years, he has picked up so much information in bits and pieces, and he is he's put it together in a way that he feels makes sense. But if it was a a one hundred piece jigsaw, I think he's got like thirty or forty pieces, and it's mm. starting to create a picture for him. But he's having mm-hmm. to fill that's in the gaps. He's starting to have mm-hmm. to fill in the gaps himself, and that's where he can seem to really jump. I, I don't know, Kurt, if you've if you've seen. Uh, it was about a year ago. Tom DeLong sent out a series of tweets. It was about. I think it was one of seven, two of seven, three of seven. He sent out, and he talked about what if there was a place like Atlantis where thousands of years ago an advanced civilization lost and ended up under the water, and what if? And I just get the feeling that's that's Tom DeLong's that he's he's been given a lot of really good information that there's some there's never any you know smoke without fire but some of those gaps are definitely missing for him and that's where people can get lost in his conversation you know Andy I'm so hoping you know people say this Tom DeLong's a disinformation agent I'm so hoping that's the case I'm so hoping that all of this talk about UFOs is pure disinformation and there's a prosaic explanation for it. I, well, I'm just hoping that's the case. What, what does your gut tell you? I don't know. My gut is unformed. It's that's, that's a, a good of, place to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a squirrel. You know, if you ever drive and you see a squirrel that's about to cross the road, it's, it's like, it doesn't know which way to go. And they just go. I think Louis CK had a Louis CK, Louis CK had a joke about that in deer. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm the deer. Caught in the headlights of the of the yeah, subject. Yeah, yeah. And listen, and you look at Tom DeLong, and I genuinely, my opinion for what it's worth, Kurt, I don't think Tom is a disinformation agent. I would think he's been told some things that are correct. I think he's been told some things that are deliberately incorrect just to see what he comes out with. And it's like the Bob Lazar story. It only takes an incredible story like Bob Lazar's to have one small shred of doubt in there and it makes you doubt the rest of the story. Even just a spurious background like Bob Lazar has and some of the business practices that he's had would make you doubt, well, let's just say it, if if this gentleman was a pimp, 
then would he be working in reverse engineering craft in a secret government location out in the Nevada desert? Well, do you mm. know what? Why not? Because yeah, why I not see. have that that doubt? Because it can just give the flexibility for a government to deny who someone is or was. Because that guy, no, not that guy, but that would be the guy you would want doing it. When it comes to what people say, I think compartmentalization is necessary, and that's something we're lacking. For example, for example, Chris Langan has a great theory of everything. It's one of the best theories of everything out there. It's one of the most complicated theories of everything out there, actually. And people will dismiss it because of his views on race and Somalia, let's say, or on, on Trump. And I'm thinking, man... Man, man, perhaps the greatest skill of our time is to vehemently disagree with someone in one area and still hold them to be possibly credible in another, not dismiss them outright, indiscriminately. So when it comes to Bob Lazar, I don't care. I don't put any weight to him having a, to him being a, first of all, what's wrong with running a brothel? Like many Liberals think prostitution should be completely legal. If that's the case, so then what the heck? That's no different than any business. And then what's wrong with, well, lying about your credibility? I mean, there is something, there's always something wrong about lying. There's always something wrong about lying. But I, as I understand, people did it plenty in the 70s. That's not an excuse. But it doesn't mean that he's, it doesn't mean that every other area of his life is suspect any more than anything that we say is suspect, because if you were to analyze all that you've said, Andrew, and all that I've said, and I openly say that there's so many lies. I've, if you look at if you look at my entire life up until about one year ago, and there's still videos out there of me, it's just blatant Tony Robbins copying like an epigon, just this false imitator. It's so embarrassing. And my emails, they're so embarrassing. They make me cringe. And there's lies in there. There's utter lies. Like, 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 I don't know. Like, here's this white lie. Like, may, imagine I made for a filmmaker, I helped a filmmaker earn $1,200. Well, then I would say, yeah, look, I helped a filmmaker earn four digits. Well, I'm implying that it's greater than that. Yeah. So that's a lie of in and of itself. I, well, they're cringeworthy and embarrassing, but, but they're still up there. And I just leave them. But you're right, it doesn't take away from other things you go on to say or do or achieve that have a positive impact or people find value in. And that's yeah, is exactly the Heisenberg the same. Un- is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle false because Heisenberg was a Nazi? Like is are we going to not listen to the innovation? Are we going to not take any of the innovations from Germany regarding quantum mechanics because many of the greatest quantum scientists or the people who developed it were Nazis? Yeah, I think that again we've got listeners in the US, but the you know Operation Paperclip, but brought over many of those great minds, didn't they, to to continue working on what they were they're doing, given they just invaded and obviously the US and the Allies won the war. But yeah, you're right that the Germans that were the minds that were of value were brought over, regardless of what they had worked on and what they've been a part of before. So, I mean, we've just compa- compared in a way Bob Lazar to the Nazis, but you know the 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 general idea is is correct. So. Yeah, that's the disinformation stuff for me. I don't go massively into it because you can just start picking every single aspect of this topic apart as as disinformation. And and you said earlier, Kurt, that the it's very splintered and split the UFO community. 
um, especially from a social media point of view. There's there's so many different compartments to ufology or UFOs or UAPs, whatever people want to call them now, that it can be very splintered and, and separated. What's your experience with the UFO community been like and your interactions, I suppose, especially online? Luckily, I'm not a part of the community. Then some people would say, well, Kurt, you're putting out videos that makes you a part of the community. Let me tell you what I define as being a part of the community. Somewhat regularly posting on Reddit, at least browsing Reddit, at least keeping up with the newest UFO news, being heavily interested in so-and-so revelations, being, being extremely knowledgeable. None of those. I am none of those. And what I am is just someone who knows so little. I'm just an asinine fool who is curious and like a child, I'm just asking, I'm, I think this is an, ex- like, it's, think of me like a child. I'm so immature in many respects, like you wouldn't want to know, but like, and when it comes, I'm just a child. So I'm like, okay, but why this and why and how that, and luckily I have some background, some scientific background. So I can ask some, some at least ostensibly informed questions scientifically, but, but majorly not. And so I'm not a part of the community. And luckily, I've been extremely blessed because many of the people in the community, perhaps they like that. See, like I mentioned before, it can't, to get scientists to take this issue seriously, it can't come from outside science. I mean, it, it can start there, but it, it also has to trickle down into, into scientists. And I'm not a scientist, but luckily, my audience, and I don't like to use the word my audience, sorry, I apologize for that. The audience, the people who watch the Theories of Everything channel, and the reason why I don't like to use the word my is because people aren't there for me. It's not about me. And also, it's not as if they like everything from the channel. So I just want to put that out there. The people who watch the Theories of Everything channel, there's a huge portion of them that are professors. That's actually a rare, rare quality to have professors watching your show, PhD, postdocs in science. So there's a portion of them, a large, much larger than average portion of them that watch the show. And when they see someone like myself taking this topic seriously, maybe at first they roll their eyes and then they start to themselves take it more seriously. So if anything, I'm making my impact just by hosting conversations like this. And the UFO community, because I'm not a part of them, I'm doing this community a service by legitimizing them and not saying that they're I call them fringe because they are fringe, but I don't use that in any, I don't mean that that's, I don't mean that fringe is not the same as false. Fringe just means it's not accepted. It's on the edges, the periphery, the environs, the perimeter. So it's not a a derogatory term. It's true. That's what it is. It's a niche. And even this podcast itself is niche. And within the UFO topic, people have even further niches and drill down. And it's those specializations you talk about when it comes to chemistry and science. People have that within the UFO community. And I, I sit right on the edge and I am no expert in anything I talk about when it comes to UFOs. Um, I've got colleagues and friends now, like Dan, who obviously you've been conversing with as well. His knowledge is fantastic. And we've got friends like Graham Rendell who just pulls dates and times and um, events off mm. the top of his head. I can't do that. I don't have the memory or the brain for it. But what I do have is in a way similar to yourself, just without the articulation that you have, is I've got a lot of questions and I've got an inquisitive mind and I I want to know more. And I think that's where someone like yourself, I'm really interested in talking to for the podcast and people get in touch and send in questions because 
you're on the outside of the subject. You don't have a bias that, oh, well, he knows about this event and he thinks these are ETs coming from this civilization. So people yeah. appreciate that new, fresh approach that I, w- I would like to think is going to be fluid and malleable. And as you go along your journey and you, you interview more people, which I'm sure you will, you'll be able to change your opinion and let it be formed. And when you hear new information like I do, I'm quite happy that tomorrow, if something comes to light that I make no secret, like Lou Elizondo, Luis Elizondo, I put a lot of stock into what he has said and what he's come out with, given his his former role with ATIP within the US government. If that all turned out to be false in some way, shape or form, I would have no problem holding my hand up and saying, okay, that's fine. Where do we go from here? But there are right. others in this community who are so hard and steadfast in what they believe, and they've believed it for so long that it has to be right. There's no other option. And that's that's just two of the groups, I think, within the whole community as well. Uh, yeah, and to to give to steel man them, the people who if any criti- if I get any criticism, it would only be why are you hosting this guest rather than critiques directed at me per se. Luckily, I tend to get, well, luckily, I tend to not get any. Okay, let's drop that. When I I get critiqued occasionally, like, why did you hold Travis Walton? He's obviously lying. Or why did you host? I said hold. <laughs> I didn't hold Travis Walton, although it definitely looked like I was holding. <laughs> why, did, why did I host Luis Alessandro, disinformation agent, if there ever was one, that's for sure, and Ross and so on. But those are extreme minorities because it's also, well, see, I am sympathetic to the people who who give those critiques as well because this is such, I view this as an important issue. I think even the scientists who ridicule this view it as an extremely important issue. And I can, I can somewhat prove that in the sense that they constantly say, wouldn't it be great to know if there is life on other planets? Okay, well it would be one of the greatest discoveries to know there exists life and that life is interested in us. That's a huge, 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 huge discovery. Okay. So there's that. This is a huge issue to many people in it. It changes. See, there's also this quote that says, it's a quote, but I'm going to butcher it, which means not, I'm not doing it. It's not a quote anymore, but there's the sentiment that says something like the way that science works or the way that paradigms work in culture is it's first you put up a proposition, it's ridiculed intensely, then it's seen as obviously true later once it's been accepted, and then you find it foolish that anyone didn't believe in it. I imagine that's going to be the case when it comes to UFOs, if anything's ever revealed, because I know some people who are so hard and so obstinate against it being a true phenomenon. But I have a feeling that if it comes to light that there exists something that are that are otherworldly or other human-like, or there's that there's some truth, there's some veracity to this, that they would say, well, eh, obviously so. And humans acclimate, people acclimate quickly. So they would, they, they wouldn't have any problems doing so. And not, they wouldn't see their own hypocrisy or feel any need to be apologetic or feel any need to be more open-minded and more willing to listen to people who in on other issues are, are saying, Hey, there's veracity to veracity to remote viewing. Let's say, mm, mm. Yeah, I was going somewhere and I believe I lost my train. But it doesn't matter. 
No, that's okay. Listen, you've you've mentioned a few names, Kurt Lightbob, Lazar, Travis Walton, and ah, they have... I remember. Is oh, it all right if on. I interrupt you? Yeah, go yeah. on. Please do. What I was going to say do. is that the people who the people who say, hey, why are you hosting this person? They're disinformation. They're disinformation artist or agent. Agents. Agents, right. yeah. Right. It's like... It, they're right in a, in the sense that it's an important issue. Why would you want to muddle it, muddy it, and muddle it? So they're right in that regard. It's just so tricky because you don't know. There's such a lack of data. And you ask me, what data would there be that would be would would be great data? Like what would be what would make it more palatable? I think was your word. I think double blind studies, triple blind studies. But how do you do that with regard to this phenomenon? I don't know. I was talking with Dan and I have a new show starting on KGRA radio called The Other Show. It's a spinoff of of this, Um, but it's original, fresh content. And we were looking at a a video of it's never been debunked, shall we say, uh, from Turkey in 2008. And it's filmed with a old handheld video camera. And uh, the Turkish gentleman is filming this object that from the the naked eye he says and it's been translated as just a dot in the sky and and he zooms in to this object and you can clearly see if this is genuine it's the best footage of of what you would say is a ufo or can you send it to spacecraft yeah i'll send you the link over yeah um however dan and i were breaking it down and discussing what we thought of it and you can actually see we don't know if it's is it paradelia but there's potentially two occupants actually filmed Uh, within uh the front of it and dan had said himself that he thought it would look like the the dimensions would be out because the heads would be too big and it's still quite blurry given you know how far away they're filming from but like i said to dan it's like we, we don't know there is literally no evidence of a true alien and quotation marks spacecraft that we have that we know is 100 percent genuine so how would we know what one of these things would actually look like so we can mm-hmm. say that yeah that looks too big or that looks too small or that looks fake or that looks cgi yeah you have nothing to compare it to yeah for all we know that that is what that looks like and it also and reminds me of be frustrating it also reminds me of when people say life as we know it like they're looking for life in other planets but then they'll say life as we know it is so and so but there could be life as we don't know it yeah but what makes you call it life then you have no comparison like is the air life is fire life is the sun life i i really hope and there's a line of thinking that if if you're spoken to luis elizondo he may have brought up that potentially some of these these craft or objects entities beings whatever they may be are more closer to home than we realize and i would love for that discovery to be made before we find there's alien life on other planets that there is another non-human intelligence more intelligent than us already here either on this planet or sharing the same space as us uh uh interesting yeah if yeah. i'll send you the link to that as well when i spoke to Luis elizondo uh Car- i'll explain this and the listeners that are relatively new to the podcast might not have heard this one yet i asked lou he'd made a quote in, in the past on a different interview a couple of years ago that um what does it mean to be human and he talked about is it mankind or mankind's and I asked him to follow up on that quote because no one really had before, but it was something people brought up. And he used an analogy, which uh, if you butchered a quote before, I'll butcher this analogy for you. He said, imagine a cigar where the, the piece of the cigar that's burned away is the past. 
what you have still to burn is the future and what is burning in the middle is the cherry now if you look at that cherry where where it's burning in that moment that is the here and now but when you look at it up close it's not symmetrical there's there's an overlap and it's not all burning at the same time and he said to me what if there was another species or or race that could experience that time differently that if you and I could be having this interview but you're having it five minutes from now and that's the way Lou explained to me his comment of of mankind's mm-hmm. um so I'll, I'll send you that one over as well because you'll probably appreciate the where he's coming from with it but there's a line of thinking that some of these objects especially the ones that the the u.s military are encountering off the coast of california may be based here rather than from some far off planet hmm See me as a phys. No, I'm not a physicist, but me with my physics mind, I'm wondering about. It sounds like there are multiple time dimensions. See, most theories tend to have multiple spatial dimensions and then one time component. There are other theories with multiple time components as well. I believe Twister, but I'm not sure. Twister theory. Either way, this lends credence to some. That's the only way I can. Well, that's what it. That's what's occurring to me when he says that. I'll, I'll send you those links. So the, the Turkey UFO, which I'll put in the link for this show as well, because people will no doubt now be interested in that. And the, the Lou link as well to his Mankind's analogy, which uh, got a few people talking at the time when he when he came out with that one. Um, if you don't mind, Kurt, I'll go back to the question I was asking before, where you had mentioned Bob Lazar, Travis Walton, some of those names. Are there any aspects of this topic that you feel is that are taboo even for you to discuss you mentioned mutilations earlier so that's something you're interested in but is there anything that you find too out there or too woo that you you just don't really want to go into no you're that, that's good though that you're quite happy to go with do you know what a conversation is is just that it's a conversation yeah I'll, i go with my intuition and i also i guide myself with this person like i use body language and my judgment and intuition but I also try to say that what if what this person is saying is true? What would the implications of that be? I'm not looking for flaws in them because I'm not a skeptic. I'm more trying to understand their point of view. And if they're all, if they're making it on the channel, I've done at least a preliminary, a superficial look at their repertoire. And I've come to the conclusion that they're not being dishonest. And I could be incorrect about that. Everyone is dishonest in many ways, so it doesn't mean that they're. It doesn't mean they're dishonest when it comes to the UFO stories. But either way, I follow them, and I, and I think you'd be extremely surprised at what I'm willing to entertain. I think most people would be extremely surprised. Some people think that I'm entertaining this UFO topic because it's getting it's terribly successful in the sense of views, but that's like I mentioned the Robert. Jeremy, the Jeremy Corbell and the Kevin Knuth were my first, and those weren't extremely successful at all. In fact, I got criticized heavily for them. And I I can't say anything right now, but for my other topics like consciousness, I actually can make far, far, get far more views and I'm offered, well, I can just tell you this. There are people who have offered me more money than the channel has made, more money than I've, more money than I've made in an entire year for one month or two months of my time to study their consciousness theory. There are people who have offered me that, and I could do that. So in some ways, consciousness is far more profitable. But 
I'm just interested in this UFO topic. I'm just extremely interested. I'm, I think people would be surprised what I'm willing to entertain. Well, listen, I've got a few listener questions for you, Kurt. But just before that, I've got, I suppose I'm going to call it a listener question. It was Dan, and I felt this would be a nice way to kind of round off this portion of the interview. Um, and his question is on consciousness and spirituality. And Dan says, we're only beginning to scratch the surface of the implications of these subjects. And it's been noticed there's overlap between the two areas. What do you think of the ideas of Sir Roger Penrose and others that consciousness permeates everything? It could be. It could be. I think I was talking to, uh -huh, I was talking to Amjad Hussain. So Amjad Hussain is the supporter of the Theories of Everything podcast. He has a company called Algo, and I was talking with him, saying that there may be a duality between materialism and idealism. There may be a, there are plenty of dualities in physics, and dualities are a technical term in math. So there are plenty of dualities in math, for example. Mm, stone duality is one. So there's a duality between topolog certain topological spaces, which is, you can think of as geometric spaces, and then Boolean algebras are certain. It's called sober spaces. I believe that's correct. And then that means that there's an analogy between logic and geometry. Okay, when you have a when you have more than just an analogy, that's called a duality. It has a formalized term is something called category theory in math, but it doesn't matter. There's a duality. What I'm wondering is if there's a duality between physicalism and idealism or materialism and idealism. So I'm, I don't, I don't know. I don't, doesn't, I don't see it as being implausible that consciousness is all there is. I think if one takes Bernardo Kastrup's point of view and one is trying to be a scientist, which a scientist is governed by Occam's razor, then I don't know how one arrives at materialism to begin with. But it could be the case that all there is is material and consciousness is an epiphenomenon. It could be the case that consciousness is what's fundamental. I don't know. I hope Dan appreciates me asking that question because he should have been here for the follow-up to that because I am in no position to be asking a follow-up to that answer. So I appreciate that, Kurt. Now, Kurt, I've got a few listener questions before we finish off. I would love to get your thoughts on. Uh, Michael got in touch and he wanted to know that, um, and I had asked you earlier, what prompted you to start looking at the UAP subject? Michael would like to know what aspect, if any, has kept your attention to the subject? Like I mentioned, that party, which is just four people, for the wrapping of Better Left Unsaid, there was an editor, one of the co-editors, actually. And he said, Kurt, you know, there's something, watch these videos. And I was just completely lambasting him for saying that UFOs are even a potentiality, a potential. And either way, I watched some of those videos. I was, I wouldn't say convinced because I'm not convinced in any one direction, but I, but I was piqued, let's say that. I found it piquant. So then I continued to watch and interviewed Jeremy Corbell. And that's what pretty much first grabbed my attention. What kept my attention is it just seems like, it seems like if when it comes to legal cases, like let's say a rape trial or a murder trial, serious issues where someone is, first of all, there's huge suffering involved. And then someone's going to get put away maybe to the death penalty that 
and forget about the death penalty because maybe this doesn't play, but locked up in prison, in prison. Mm-hmm. That what counts as testimonial there, it's not always DNA evidence, not always hard evidence. It's often independent witness testimonial. And there's plenty of independent independent witness testimonial for some of these for some of these phenomenon. So if we're willing to lock up people, lock them up, remove their liberties, brand them, ostracize them, if we're willing to do that, then if this UFO phenomenon was put on trial, what, would it be seen as 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 true or not true, just based on a jury? I don't. I think that there's. I think that in some cases there's more evidence for the f- certain not the UFO phenomenon wholesale as being true because there's obviously many claims or sure. certain aspects of it being true then there are for certain people then there are then there is evidence that certain people committed a murder and they're in jail anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. I like the way you've put that. Um Logan had a question and first off says I love how fascinated and curious Kurt is about the phenomenon as a whole but especially Skinwalker Ranch. What is the most intriguing topic about Skinwalker and one question that you would like to ask Brandon Fugel or someone who has the most knowledge on the subject? Portals. Portals are interesting. Bigfoot is interesting to me. And that's another one. Like I'm man, like I said you'd be so surprised at what I'm willing to entertain. I am a fan of Les Stroud, who's Survivor Man. And when he did a Bigfoot series, I used to, I stopped doing this, but I used to watch Les Stroud. Are you familiar with Les Stroud? I've heard the name. Do you know, it's like, it's funny when you say how much I'd be surprised you would entertain. I wonder if the opposite would be true, where you would be surprised at some of the things I tend not to entertain because I just go, really? But I, I have to also appreciate, given my interests and what I do entertain, I'll always entertain other people. So Bigfoot's just one of those that I've never in all the things I've got an interest in in the world of the paranormal that but then again, I used to yeah, be into the, the, the Loch Ness yeah. monster when I was a kid. Okay. And, uh, so I, I can't. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not interested in the Loch Ness, but I haven't researched it much. Anyway, when it comes to Bigfoot, even Jane Goodall, who's a primatologist said, Hey, there could be Bigfoot. And if there is, we should be conserving it because it's endangered. And so that's, that's what I mean by, it seems like, like the more I say that, the more the scientists would be like, oh, okay, maybe there is because they want approval from other scientists. As soon as they say, well, Jane Goodall says, then they're like, maybe there is something like Bigfoot. They don't evaluate it on their own. Anyway, Les Stroud, who's Survivor Man, who I'm interviewing just about a week or so, he had a series on Bigfoot. So I've been interested in Bigfoot. He used to watch Les Stroud as I go to sleep because it's just calming. But then he plays a harmonica in the middle of an episode. So it's just waking me up and I have such insomnia. Man, Les, like, what are you doing, man? I'm right about to fall. <laughs> then I can't fall asleep for hours and hours. So I can't watch Les Stroud anymore. Regardless, about Skinwalker, I'm interested in Bigfoot's connection. Why the heck is Bigfoot mentioned at all as concomitant with UFOs? It seems strange to me when it comes to poltergeist now that is like that's terrifying to me so there are some subjects i'm unwilling to go because i'm scared and i would say that's the majority of them that's yeah it wouldn't be because they're out there it'd be because i lack courage i'm a recreant craven i'm gutless in many respects okay then what i would ask brandon i would ask him why is he he's a billionaire is that correct uh, yeah. Either way, he's a multimillionaire. Why don't you invest in 8K cameras? 8K. Forget about 4K. 
8K cameras that can stream. If, you, if they don't exist, develop them. It's not that, I'm sure it's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Nathan Mirvold develops his own cameras. Okay, so develop 8K cameras that can stream and stream all around your place. Why don't you do this and stream it to Reddit and stream it to Twitter or stream it to play? every? So people like you, people like people who are interested can comb through the footage. I don't know why that's not done. And then also some of the other data stream. So if he's monitoring noise, like vibrations, stream that. If he's monitoring um, seismic activity, stream that. I don't know why. I don't know why he doesn't do it. I imagine he would say, well, you you can't connect to satellites. I don't know. I don't know why it's not done. I believe part of the reason that at least would be given would be that there's a lot of issues regarding any electrical equipment, including cameras. I spoke to the um, ranch superintendent and also Brian Arnold, who is the chief of security for the ranch, and they comment how when the series is being filmed, a lot of the stuff that you can't see is when the camera crews go to set up to film a particular piece or scene or experiment and the camera equipment itself just won't work. And they'll they'll swear the batteries are fully charged, but they've got on location, they'll have backup batteries that won't work. But obviously they can't show you or film this because it's the equipment itself which is failing. So again, I wonder, I, I would enjoy that. I would, I would like to see some kind of permanent live stream for the, the site, but I'm guessing that would be part of the reasoning. Yeah, yeah. What I'm wondering, what occurs to me is there are analog ways of capturing video. It's so, it's so, it's not easily done though because it's heavy equipment. I'm saying cameras where you crank, like old yeah. film cameras, but then you'd have to lug that around and let's say you were filming in the middle of a field. Well, where are you going to bring that each time? I understand. I, I always selfishly wonder from a, maybe not selfishly, but the US government once had um, Bob Bigelow and, and Nids reporting on Skinwalker Ranch before Brandon Fugel, and they had a heavy interest and investment in the property. I very much doubt, given what potentially goes on there, that they completely walked away from that. So I wonder if they would even allow, maybe Brandon Fugel would, would say that, and he has said that the US government has no involvement in the property anymore. I would I would question that if what goes on in that property is is absolutely correct, then why would the US government just just leave it to the uh-huh. hands of a modern day Tony Stark? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, but good question, and uh, I think I asked Brandon something somewhere. But yeah, uh, I'd like to see you get Brandon on your your well, show. I haven't to seen speak any to streams at all. I they don't know done, if he's ever streamed. So they, their equipment works at times. Why don't they, they done, ever they done one last, was it oh. last year or earlier this year, where they, they set up cameras around various locations and streamed. And someone put together a, a time lapse of the, the whole stream over a course of, I think, seven or eight minutes. Um, and it cuts to various locations. All, all that you see of any interest is one or two lights in the sky shooting across. Mm, but that was just over one 24-hour period. Um, Kyle has a question for you and wants to know with the data that Kurt has coming his way in such a short period of time where is he leaning on the nature of the phenomenon is there one theory that seems more plausible than others no I don't have my thoughts sorted out so I'm unable to make the comparisons still on the fence it's not that I'm on the fence I just don't know see so many people they'll say Kurt you're so open minded I like that man you have no idea it's just that I'm a fool I'm like inane and just Jay June. So I'm like a child. 
it's not as if I'm open-minded. I, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's better to think of, I don't know any better. Um, Ezra had a question, but you've, you've sort of answered it anyway, and it was on your thoughts on the role that consciousness may play in this phenomena. Have you got anything more you could expand on that? Okay. Mm, I think when people say consciousness has something to do with this, what they mean is that it's as if, let's imagine there's a material world and a consciousness world, if we can formulate it as such, it's as if we're in this physical world, that is the material world, the physical world, and we interact with consciousness. And it's as if there is some other entity that is some other player or agent somewhere that can interact more with more facility in this consciousness world, perhaps even interact with us. I think that's what they mean. I think an, I think that one way to think about it is an amoeba or a slug in this physical world. We're vastly more capable in this physical world of manipulating our objects. Like I can hold a pen and I can write with it and we can create tools and so on. A slug, slug cannot do that. Amoebas cannot do that. I wonder if there exists agents in this consciousness world, we're like slugs in this consciousness world, whereas we're these beasts in the physical world. We're like slugs in the consciousness world, and there are beasts in the in the consciousness world, and they just see us as these little inarticulate creatures who who have who are so easily trampled on and manipulated or just they're just at a certain stage of consciousness evolution now all of that's huge speculation and i'm also using these terms consciousness and consciousness field and so on colloquially to properly use them well, i don't know how to properly use the word consciousness but i'm using to properly use the word field one would have a a physics definition, unless one wants to take the colloquial definition, which is what I'm saying. I'm using these words colloquially, and I'm surmising. I don't know. Yeah, and it's, it's in the way that someone like myself would would understand, and you're using it in in the right way for me. Uh, in the yeah. sense that, especially from an, an abduction phenomena point of view, there's a lot of theories that potentially it's the conscious consciousness of a person that is abducted and that for, I, I used this example earlier that if, if you were in bed beside your partner your partner could see you lying asleep the whole evening and not see you leave that bed physically but your your consciousness is taken and for many that could be what an abduction experience is that you physically mm-hmm. don't leave the place you are but if these beings or entities can manipulate or mm-hmm. are in a higher evolved state of consciousness then maybe that's what an abduction is Mm-hmm. Have there been cases that you know of where someone claims adamantly to have been abducted, but their partner says, well, I, didn't, I don't know what this guy's talking about? I can't give you exact details off the top of my head because, like I say, not how my memory works, but there are cases and I could send you some stuff over to, to look at when I get them off those people. But I, I, I quite I quite like that theory. There's, of course, abduction theory, uh, abduction experiences where people physically claim to have left, like Travis Walton and Calvin Parker and such. But yeah, um, the idea that it's the consciousness that goes, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, you hear about people who have night terrors or, sorry, sleep paralysis and their, their body's asleep, but they're awake. And then some people claim that beings can take their consciousness and yeah, it's it, it goes into a really strange and do you know what? Like you mentioned before, a kind of scary area because that's some some terrifying stuff to think about. Um, and Tom DeLong himself has touched on 
some really scary ideas when it comes to this topic. And, and one of those being that if the US government really was powerless to stop things like that, that could send people into a panic, especially from an abduction point of view. I'll try and get some stuff for you to, to send over. I'll make a note of that as well. And yeah. last qu- last question was from Dave. He wants to know, how far do you think the proposed new UAP government office could change the nature of scientific involvement with the phenomena? Do you think that could potentially lend more credibility that the government has an official UFO office? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the answer is yes. I see that. I don't know how much of a big deal it would be. Because the government heavily invested in remote viewing at one point, and it's not as if the scientific community, at one point maybe still does, it's not as if the scientific community is is on board with remote viewing. They'll just say, well, the government is exploring everything because firstly, it's desperate. It doesn't know. And secondly, well, you want every advantage that you can possibly get. So why not? It's just like if you're a mother and your child is gone, you'll go to a psychic. To try and so get I'm that. I'm unsure. Yeah, yeah I'm unsure. Solace or, yeah, I understand that. I can imagine that, that some scientists would say that. Awesome. Kurt, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I wish I could articulate thoughts the way you can can speak. So uh, it's been it's been really good conversing, and I love your take and approach to the topic, and especially your channel is a uh, is interviewing people I've seen interviewed many times, but your 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 questioning and the way you're approaching things make for a very fresh perspective. So I appreciate that, and I know other people do as well. Uh, I would just ask if you want to promote the channel, how can people find it? How can they follow you and what's coming up for you next? Sure. You can go to theories of everything. Well, search theories of everything on YouTube and it'll come up. It looks apparently like Reese's Pieces, the logo. It does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's my favorite chocolate, but I haven't had it in in quite some time. So (laughs) I thought I would recognize that. Maybe that's subconscious, huh? Okay. Well, well, you could do that. And what's coming up? What I have coming up, I can tell you. And by the way, when is this airing? Uh, This will go out um, about the 7th or 8th of October. Ah, okay. So then this won't be an exclusive for you. What I was going to say, but it's old news now, if people are following theories of everything, is that we confirmed Luis Alessandro. He's going to be doing an interview with us, the longest interview he's ever done. So that's great. Because he doesn't ordinarily like to go for more than an hour, but I've That's right, managed yeah. to convince him to go for two and a half. So we'll see. Then, so that's coming up in I think October twentieth on the channel. That'll be live. And the way that it usually works for the live streams is that I live stream them and then I put them as unlisted slash private, and then I re-upload them about a day later with intros with the sponsors and when proper audio and so on. Okay, what else is coming up is Carlo Ravelli is a physicist that he co-founded loop quantum gravity which is the main competitor to string theory michael levin is coming up michael levin not mike 11 michael levin he has what i think is nobel prize winning work with regard to mm, we think of our we think of the blueprint of us as encoded in the dna and then there's some codicils on that like there's epigenetics and so on but what he's seen is that there's there's electrical bioelectric signaling that happens such that, well, 
Well, we can talk about that. Okay, Survivor Man is coming up October fourth, and some and well, that's that. Oh, Diana Posolka, I'm working on. I think that's going to happen in mid October. Ah, okay, cool. You've got some a lot of big names coming up there as well, and I'm sure mm-hmm. the listeners of for, for Luella Zondo will be looking forward to that one particularly. Mm-hmm. I had over 200 questions sent in for Lou's uh, oh, wow, Q and yeah. A show, um, of which I managed to get through about 10 or 15, and uh, he's oh. coming back on at some point in October for a, for a second part follow up on that as well. So great! I look forward to to checking out your interview if it's uh, probably before. I get to speak to Lou anyway. So, Kurt, um, it's been great speaking with you. And again, thanks for everything you're doing. And uh, enjoy your, your podcast recordings. When thanks for up. having me on, man. I appreciate it. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should. Because it doesn't really scare me. Thank you.